And we are back. I thought uh, here. I thought you were going to do Jar Jar, and you didn't, Brian. Oh, the clip failed. The clip failed. Yeah, yeah. it was all my fault. See, the clip didn't fail. It's the operator that failed. Welcome back to the final behind the lens for 2016. When we next see you and you hear us in on January the 9th, because we're going to. I'm taking a break next week, especially since all the publicists and talent are like goofing off for the first day of the new year. Uh, when we are back on the ninth, that will kick off our third year of Behind the Lens. But we are going out 2016 with an absolute bang with song and sound. And right here for the hour with me is the fabulous, fabulous sound editor, mixer, guru of Atmos, Tim Hoganaker. <laughs> Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, of course, also joining us today, who will be calling in, is six-time Grammy Award-winning music producer and composer Harvey Mason Jr. So, it's all about song and sound today. So, I am just, I am so thrilled to have you here, Tim. Thank you. You know, you work with the formidable Formosa Group. I do, yes. Yep, I've been with them. Uh, so the Formosa Group was formed in around 2013. Yeah. So I've been with them since 2014, so two years now. Yeah. Coming up on three. So uh, we're, yeah, you it's, know, it's I growing mean, well. Well, you know, one of, your, one of your compatriots, you know, Mr. Oscar winner Mark Mangini was here. Yes, yes. On Halloween. Yes. Scott Hecker was here back yeah. in August. That, those are, those are, yep, those are powerful guys with a lot of experience under their belt. Well, sure. you know, you're not too shabby yeah. yourself <laughs> because you are... Without a doubt, uh, you know, you are the go-to man for, at, for Dolby Atmos, for remix of Dolby Atmos. And it's not, just do- it's not just remix and remastering that you do. You also do albums. Mm-hmm. You do, you know, documentaries. You produced the music track for the, the fabulous documentary, Sweet Mickey for President. Uh, you are, you, you're dabbling in everything Sonic. Yeah, yeah. I, I am, I, I've been worded before, uh, uh, compared before as a Swiss Army knife. In a sense that um, well. it's a little bit of a I, you know I, I, I so I do in film and music and television in different formats on five point one surround and Atmos you know sometimes even in stereo still yeah, still sometimes still in yeah in so stereo. but 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 surround has been my my thing. What yeah. is it about surround and particularly <laughs> the Dolby Atmos now as it's moving its way into the home video arena? Yeah. What is it about that that speaks to you? that draws you to that particular aspect of sound. Well, it's it's fun with with uh with an immersive surround and when I say immersive I mean Dolby Atmos and DTSX as well. They uh these different immersive formats when you hear them it's you know, a lot of people just assume it's about helicopters flying over your head and flying around and you know bumblebees zipping around whatever. But really it's it's just to as important to me about the music and the ambiences in the backgrounds. For example, mm-hmm. um, in a film like like Hunger Games, we did that in Atmos, and that's a perfect example where they're out in the forest and you hear the trees and the leaves rustling and everything going around you. And of course, well you even hear the whoosh of the arrow as it, Katniss oh, lets it yeah, go. Yeah, you hear the arrows exactly, and then also, when, of course, when they announce over the the dome of the the game. Yes. So so when that's happening, you're, you're hearing it's a perfect film for that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not about just the obvious sound effects that swoosh around. It's about, you know, creating that ambience mm-hmm. and creating the element that pulls you in. It sucks you in. You know, and it's yeah. funny because I've been doing a lot of interviews uh, during the awards campaigns now with mm-hmm. all the below the line people because 
I love my people below the line. Uh, and I've been talking to some of the sound designers for some of the films. And it's very interesting because so often, and even the Academy, they overlook the quieter films. Mm, yeah. You know, when you look at the at the nominations and the winners that come through, you know, mm-hmm. Mark is a perfect example with what he did with sound for Mad Max yes. Fury Road. Yes. It is a loud film. Yeah. Very yeah. loud. It's nuanced, but it's loud. Mm-hmm. But then you have, now you did per- perfect example, a film like Age of Adeline is very quiet. Even in The November Man, there are some very quiet scenes. In Dracula, there is a lot of quiet there that relies on the music and mm-hmm. the sound of the tapping of the long fingernails and things <laughs> like that. People seem yeah. to overlook the nuance that comes out in sound. Yeah, and stuff. When you think about things like, well, films like Dracula, for example, it's not, it's not a whole lot of just obvious sound effects. It's again, it's more about that emotion of mm-hmm. some of the the air rushing through inside the Dracula's castle, for example, and you're hearing some of the winds that are kind of flowing through, and you know that's the stuff that pulls you in. It's not just the obvious, you know, the gates clanging around you and whatnot. No, it's, it's I mean, the, yeah, yeah. One of the, the one song. of the great sonic scenes mm-hmm. in in Bram Stoker's Dracula, and we're talking mm-hmm. about the one with Gary Oldman people. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. is you have the three bloodsuckers from hell down <laughs> down in the pit. Yeah. And you can hear the moans and the movement of mm-hmm. body parts, and you know that's a, that's a skill, mm-hmm. and it's something that adds so much to the film. Yeah, and that's in the music portion of that. For example, scenes like that with the music portion that's going to pull you in too. Mm-hmm. You know, having that immersive surround of music is going to Opened it up, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's it. Plays a part. It plays its own role, in a sense. You know, yeah. what led you to the Atmos world and the surround sound world? Um, well, I started because I started in the music industry way back when, a long time ago, and then uh, moved into post production for film in the mid nineties mm-hmm. and doing film and music really. And so I, I jumped in. Just at a time when DVD was just starting to come into the fray and everything was being mixed in 5.1 surround at the mm-hmm. time. So uh, – and this was a time when obviously not a lot of films were done in 5.1 yet. you know. And so it all had to fit onto a medium that's going to work for 5.1. So there's a huge a, – a, a large push to make everything 5.1 surround. Mm-hmm. And that had become the standard. For years and years and years, and it stands to that to this day, you know. Pretty it, much is. Pretty yeah. much is, and you know, and I remember it's funny. I remember back in you know around ninety eight, ninety nine, you know, some people in the industry would say, ah, you know, this five point one thing, it's just, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's never going to kick off. Nobody's going to care. Well, here we are. We're approaching two thousand seventeen, and it's it's become this standard now, and mm-hmm. and so it's become a deliverable standard for um for filmmakers and the studios as well as content creators, the broadcast and mm-hmm. streaming even. And I'm even go so far. I just did a show recently as a music show for YouTube Red, and their standard deliverable was YouTube, and the standard deliverable was 5.1 surround. Wow! So it, it the point is, it shows you that it, there's this standard that has been set in place and has stayed like that. Now over the years, we've we've upped the ante a little bit, and then we'll go. To, we'll try 6.1 surround or 7.1 surround. Uh-huh. So you think, oh, okay, we're just going to keep adding numbers until you know. But over time, we realized, well, what, what we need to do, and not me, but really just the industry as a whole, and Dolby especially, decided, well, let's make an immersive format that's not based off of a number, really, but off of 
a three-dimensional space. Mm-hmm. So an immersive surround format. So let's go X, Y, meaning left and right and front and back, and mm-hmm. Z going up. Mm-hmm. So when you create this space, now you now have a wider space. And then you can create now you're going upper channels, front and sides. And it gives you a lot more to work with. It gives you mm-hmm. a lot more different spatial, going back to like Hunger Games again, different spatial things mm-hmm. you can place in different areas. And now you can use that. Now the studios and the content creators are starting to use that as as their default standard deliverable. Mm-hmm. And then you still have below that 5.1 and stereo, yeah. everything below that still. But I'm seeing a shift. I'm mm-hmm. definitely seeing the shift, especially in the last two years. I mean, I've well, been super busy with it. So. And I was going to say, it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, two years ago, I was at the NAB convention in Vegas and mm-hmm. Dolby had their own domed, Oh yeah, domed, you know, yeah. Dolby Atmos yep. here, Dolby Atmos, yep. and I did the whole presentation and went in there, mm-hmm. and I was just, it was mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. It was stunning yeah. to really ha- hear it sounds being mixed perfectly mm-hmm. because obviously they want to sell the equipment to everybody. <laughs> so you know they're going to give you that's the that's the place to be. I can't encourage enough filmmakers. And broadcast and people in broadcasting to go to the National Association of Broadcasting Convention mm-hmm. in Vegas, or they even have one, a smaller one in New York now, because you see this cutting edge technology before it becomes available. Yeah. You know what's coming down the pike, yeah. but you get to experience it and play with it. Yes, they let you play with it. Of course it. they do. Yeah. Um, I play with it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. You know, yeah. I'm the daughter of a television engineer. Oh, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I play with it. You have to experiment and, yeah, and they let and nowhere and you, But you're going to have the optimum conditions to try everything out, mm-hmm. and it gives you an idea of look and sound for your own projects. Yeah. You might not be able to buy you know, the $100,000 camera. You might not be able to, to get the Leica lens that you're looking at that is so fabulous. Mm. But it gives you a look that you can then try and emulate while you're saving up the money to buy that $100,000 camera. <laughs> yeah, well, and from and, and, you know, film studios and, and filmmakers, you know, independent indie features too. I mean, it doesn't stop. It's not all just a title tentpole features. You yeah, know, you can do everything. indie features. You can do an Atmos, and in fact, I've been pushing for that recently. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially if you have a horror film or some kind of a, something with a lot of spatial elements going mm-hmm. on, it's perfect for Atmos. A lot of indie films would just blossom from that. Oh and the, and to create that is, you know, I mean, I can do it in a way that's it's not that much. Really, much more expensive. Really, in a way, it's just it's just how you plan it out. So the point is, it works for everybody. It's not just for. The giant. No, and I'm, and I'm glad that, I'm, I'm glad you bring yeah. that up, um, especially with indie films. And you mentioned mm-hmm. horror, and right away I'm thinking, you know, it's like mm-hmm. I would have loved not a horror film, but a new genre for Ty West. He just did In a Valley of Violence with Ethan Hawke, John Travolta, and it's just it's fabulous. But I'm yeah. just thinking because yeah. it's a western set in a small town. How yeah. great <laughs> would that movie sound done in Atmos? Yeah. See, yeah, there's there's possibilities out there. I mean, it, it, and it is dependent on some films. I mean, obviously, certain shows, you know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, certain television shows like a series, you know, um, you know, would not, you know, Big Bang Theory would be totally inappropriate for Atmos. Right. But 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 a show, but a film, you know, certain ones. Uh, I'll tell you one that comes to mind right now. Just an older film. This wasn't really indie, but it was the movie Saw, the original Saw. Mm-hmm. That film had so much ambient things going on when they're inside that room. In that, that encased in that room, you hear mm-hmm. water running through the pipes yeah. around you. 
and you hear clanks going on outside all around you. That would have been perfect in Atmos. That's one of my dream ones to ever see back in Atmos somehow. That would be fantastic. But there's just films like that. Mm-hmm. That would be perfect. And that's the, in the indie films as well. You yeah. Know? I mean, because so. I just, you know, when, as you're saying that, you know, I'm thinking of in a valley of violence because there's a, there's a shootout yeah. in, you know, an old Western town and you've got somebody, you know, to the far left and the camera work has already set the stage. So you see yeah. where everything is in a 360 and to then have a 360 sound coming in yeah. with people on top as well. Yeah. That's, that's yep. enveloping. Yep. That is absolutely, I would, yep. okay. Pulls Ty, you in. Ty West, Ty West, <laughs> I want to see, I want to see a, a, an Atmos remix on In a Valley of Islands. <laughs> but now when it comes to Westerns, Hell or High Water, you, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's an Atmos. Uh, yeah. And that one is, uh, um, more of a conform on my end, really. It was just really just the encode on my end for that. That was my role on that, really. But um, but that film, yeah, it's a good example of a film that sounds excellent. And and um, now, um, but then some of the other ones, you know, obviously it's you know just it reaches out into music and and feature film and um, yeah. And uh, now, in fact, in fact, actually, Hell or High Water, that one was actually done by somebody else who was, works with me mm-hmm. as well. Um, and some of the other films, you know, it, it goes from uh, you go from catalog films like Dracula or a newer film, um, like a film like John Wick, mm-hmm. for example. Or we don't have to say newer; I mean, fairly recent. Oh, we're getting well ready for music. John Wick too. John, yeah, yeah, that's true. And then uh, that is coming. And then uh, oh wait, uh, wait, is it coming in Atmos? I would. I I, I can't say. Oh. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You know, so. I, I mean, I have the, the <laughs> final new trailer and one sheet on my website. I, I have yeah. plastered it everywhere, and everyone is dying for this. Yeah. He won't tell us. He won't tell us. Okay, <laughs> but it, but it also reached out, and then but now in television as well. You know, we worked on Game of Thrones, and it was his first television series being done in Atmos as well. And you know that was, that's a process of getting that show completed in all six seasons, mm-hmm. and um. So that's that's helped build a, a, you know, a push on that side on the broadcast end of things mm-hmm. for television. Now I'm starting to see we're starting to see more television shows done in Atmos. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I can't say if it's the exact result of Game of Thrones, but it certainly a, it plays a part in helping it push along. Well, you know, and it's a slightly big show, so just, <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's just a yeah. little bit big. <laughs> yeah. So now my next step is, of course, I want to see music really push. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's one I want to see. That's one one thing I'm personally trying to push is the music side of things, uh, whether it be concert music concerts, mm-hmm. as well as you know, restoration of music shows in general, and, and but also not just for Blu-ray, but also for streaming. Um, mm-hmm. Streaming is another portion to this because you can you can put everything on Blu-ray, but we all know Blu-ray and DVD, especially Blu-ray, it's not you know it's not going to be around forever. So streaming is where it's things are headed, and it's already at. So yeah. streaming Dolby Atmos is going to be the Oh well, see, I like I like the things tangible things I can hold in yep, my hand. There is that, yep. You know, yeah. like and like this original VHS <laughs> Ghostbusters <laughs> that you then took and remastered and remixed yep. into Dolby Atmos. <laughs> yep. So that was that was a that rest- had to be fun. <laughs> that was actually, I mean, that's a restoration and mix all in one. That that's restoring from the original elements and pulling it into remixing it into a surround format as well as. You know, mixing it in Atmos to give it an immersive yeah, format. You know, so, so we're not just taking 
you know, we're, we're literally going through all the original mm-hmm. elements on some of these. Yeah, let me ask you. I got to ask you this, Tim. You mentioned restoration mm-hmm. because restoration is such a big thing with film anymore. Um, people talk about, you know, restoring films, and you know, at, at TCM Film Festival a couple of years ago, oh, they restored Cabaret. I'm sorry. That film is it should not need restoration mm-hmm. for the sound and the visual. Mm-hmm. You know, the older films, you know, the classics from the golden age that mm-hmm. are... Marty Scorsese is very involved with film preservation and restoring yeah. and restoring the sound at the same time. Yeah. You know, how challenging is that? See, there's a, there's a, there's a threshold on uh-huh. restoring a film and restoring soundtrack for a film where it's very easy to go too far very easy to go too far and make it sound too modern if you will mm-hmm. or you know too to you know this age at this point we wanted to make it still have the integrity of the original the original soundtrack we don't mm-hmm. want to lose that so that's the idea when you restore a film you go into you know you got to take all the original elements and then try to you know basically listening to the original mix and seeing what they intended to do and had they had surround at the moment or at most at the moment mm-hmm. what might they have done at that point mm-hmm. and that's the way you have to look at it and and that's what we get involved we get involved with the filmmakers and, mm-hmm. the, and the crew involved if you know unless it's a really old film if they're still around right but or, if, or at least the studios and just going along with them and realizing what can we do to make this still keep that integrity because that's still the most important thing right because it's a controversial subject and if you go too far, if you make it sound gimmicky, then it's it's you you lost your entire and you will have intention. everyone in the TCM audience just oh, coming yeah. after that's you with rakes and torches yeah. and and that's the last thing. So I, I go from it from a standpoint of more on the conservative side, making sure that it's definitely like the original as much as possible, mm-hmm. but still filling in this other format, knowing that it'll work in these other formats. But no matter mm-hmm. how you're hearing it, it's still going to be as close to the original as possible. Well, and now I am so thrilled because joining us right now, Tim, Mm -hmm. we are welcoming the wonderful Harvey Mason. Hi, Harvey. Welcome. Hi. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hello. And uh, here with me today, also Harvey on Behind the Lens, is Tim Hoganacher of Formosa Group, the sound mixer Dolby Atmos remix extraordinaire guy. Hi, Harvey. Nice. I love it. Well, you know, and he's done his own share of music remixing and mastering as well, so... <laughs> yeah, he has. He definitely has. But I, first, I have to congratulate you on Sing. This is, without a doubt, the best soundtrack compilation of the year. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. That's very, very nice. I appreciate it. I am so in love, not only with the film, but it's the music. And the performances that you bring out, and, it, and you know, and this is also something right up Tim's alley too, with the remixing and mastering of sound. You know what you did, Taryn Edgerton singing "I'm Still Standing" by Elton John. Oh, right. oh my God! <laughs> cool, yeah, he's a he's a pretty talented guy. He kind of makes me angry. He's so good. I had no, because that's one of my all-time favorite Elton John songs. And the minute I heard him start belting that out, uh, I mean, I I smiled from beginning to end with every song you have in this film. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I smiled for about two years working on it. <laughs> <laughs> what What went into, because you didn't just, you know, it wasn't just a matter of securing films that were, you know, as recorded by the artist. You actually worked with all of these, you know, 
people, you worked with Jennifer Hudson, you worked with Taryn, you worked with Reese Witherspoon, you worked with all of them and had them record all these, you know, hits. Yeah, well, that was the trick, was just trying to get them to uh, all have their own kind of signature sound within the film and all have songs that really fit their characters and then bring them to life in a new in a new way. You know, we wanted to give them fresh energy. It wasn't a case where we just wanted to have them singing original versions. We wanted them to have kind of their own style. So uh, I got a chance to work with each one of them and really get to know them and know their characters and then try and fit music around that. How, how challenging is that to fit the music around the character it's not i mean it's tough but it's not any more difficult than what i normally do when when making records for artists you know you're taking the artist you're taking their voice and you're trying to find a song that showcases what they do and also trying to tell the story that the audiences can relate to you know when you're recording uh i don't know whitney houston or beyonce you're doing the same thing you're really figuring out where are they in their life where are they in their journey of life what is it that they can say that the audiences will relate to? And I'm doing the same thing on the film, just trying to really accentuate the emotional beats in the movie and the characters and the character journey. Well, I mean, what what you did with um, McCartney's Golden Slumber, I mean, that is just, that is a stunning arrangement. Thank you. That was a tricky one. I, I definitely was uh, cautious on that. It's such an incredible song and a classic copyright. You don't want to tamper with it too much um, but we wanted to give it a fresh approach and we wanted to give something to Jennifer that she could really make her own so I was walking a fine line between respecting the original and trying to do something new and different well you know when I first heard the first notes of her singing that it, I mean it gave me chills yeah me too <laughs> it really did you know now let me ask you Harvey because I we've got Tim here today when you are producing music be it you know for stream something that you know is going to stream, be it for a film, do you have, do you consider the the sound processing of like a Dolby five one or a seven one or now the Dolby Atmos for sound? Yes, we definitely do a bit of that. And when we're doing the production, I'm keeping in mind all the different formats and all the different usages. Uh, but more often than not, I'm really concentrating on making the arrangement and the production and the vocals sound amazing. And then as a final step, when we go to mix. I'll either mix different kinds of stems or different kind of bounces so that I can hand them over to the dub stage so that they can, at that point, kind of determine what sounds best in Atmos and Dolby and all the different formats. But sometimes there are certain things that I'll carve out of my production and say, oh, this would be really cool if we had it in the, you know, the rear surrounds or flying over the middle, things like that. And, and those are notes that I'll give to the dub, the dub stage mixer. And now, now let me ask, because Tim's sitting here now, if you get notes like that, do you listen to the notes? Oh, yeah, 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 no, absolutely. I, I always go, when they say, hey, we're always thinking these strings could be used for upper channels or, you know, these certain elements can be moved around certain places. I definitely listen because I know that that's what they had intended. So, yeah, and then some things work, some things don't. But for the most, I always try to listen to what mm-hmm. they have intended. Yeah, some things yeah. just don't work, and I'll have an idea, and then... <laughs> I'll get on the stage and it doesn't work, and I definitely rely on the expertise of the mixer because they're used to working in that medium, and I'm just used to left and right for the most part. So I give my ideas and recommendations, but it's definitely a collaboration between uh, the, the the mixer as well. It, the, with with this imp- with the Dolby Atmos taking shape now, and and other uh, arenas coming into pl- into play down the pike, is will you be expanding how you approach? production of music 
and with film and instead of just doing, you know, thinking in the left and right, but thinking up and down as well? Yeah, I think we definitely, or for me as a music producer, I'm definitely conscious and aware of it. I don't know if it will totally change the way I make my music, but it'll definitely make me think outside the box. I can be a little bit more creative as to different elements and different instrumentation, but I love Dolby Atmos and surround all the crazy <laughs> kind of aspects that you can accomplish with mixing. It's just amazing, and it's so cool for music and effects and everything. I love it. Well, you know, and I look at some of the artists that you work with, you know, Jennifer Hudson, you know, first and foremost, I mean, her voice is custom made for whatever you want to do with it, I think. <laughs> yeah, I guess we all probably say the same thing. We're very fortunate to have a voice like that in this movie, however you want to mix it or where you want to put it. It sounds good. But, uh, you know, part of the challenge was to really make her sound better than she ever has. I've been working with her for 10 years, and every time I step in the studio, my goal is the same thing. Okay, how can we beat what we did last time? How can we do something more memorable and more special? And with this particular performance, I think we accomplished something unique because she's really, really singing from the heart, really with a lot of emotion, somewhat understated. There's not a lot of belting notes, not a lot of fireworks vocally it's just really really from the heart and i think that's what makes that performance really ring true i think to audiences mm -hmm. and speaking of fireworks you've got you know some signature Katy perry in the film as well yeah that's right it's a good transition yeah the fireworks was a tough song and it's really a, a range it's got a lot of range so reese worked really really hard on that I was so impressed with just her work ethic and her intensity and just focus on making sure it was great and perfect. You know, a lot of artists, singing artists that I work with will just want to go in the studio and just, you know, sing it a couple of times. But Reese was intent on making it perfect. Like, Harvey, let me try it again. Let me, I can, I can get this better. I can get that better. So she was really, really impressive and worked extremely hard. You know, and we all, and we all knew going in that she could sing. Um, but, w but that's tough song. We that's didn't know she could song. sing like this. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great song, and she probably could have been a, a pop star if she started that earlier in her career, and that was her focus. I'm sure she could have done that. She's really talented in a lot of ways. What in putting together a you know because you worked on Dreamgirls, you know now you've got Sing Straight Out of Compton, uh, The Help, you know you've got so many things under your belt in terms of the audio visual dynamic combined. What is the most challenging aspect of coming into a film like Dreamgirls, like Sing, and trying to put together, you know, your tracks and then coming up with arrangements um, that will fit the film and the artist? There's a, two main issues in trying to do a big, huge musical undertaking like Dreamgirls or Sing or any, anything like that. And the first is trying to do arrangements that are fresh and contemporary and sound relevant, you know, compared to what's going on at radio or, you know, what people are listening to and not messing up the original copyrights. You know, I did The Wiz this year. So it's mm -hmm. the same thing when you're doing songs that people love and they've known for 30, 40 years. You want to, you know, freshen them up a little bit, but you don't want to make it so that when people hear them, they're like, oh, that's horrible. That's offensive what he did to that song. So that's the first problem. And then the other problem or challenge, I'll say, is working with 
such a wide variety of cooks in the kitchen, if you if I can call it that. <laughs> you've got the director you're trying to make sure you accomplish his vision. You've got the studio and the head of music at the studio. You've got usually two or three producers, and then you've got the cast, and you're working with an actress or an actor who is concerned about how the song sounds. So really trying to make sure you're able to keep all those people happy while still doing great work that I'm proud of, that's definitely a challenge. Well, and I, I think with Sing, what you've done is, you know, I've been watching Illumination Entertainment and what they've been bringing us uh, with animated film, but you, with your work and with the music and Sing, you have now elevated Illumination into the next level. You have really, oh, wow. you have pushed well, them thank beyond. Thank you so much. Yeah, because this film, it's all about the music. The animation is adorable. The voicing is perfect. Matthew McConaughey, there is no one who could have voiced Buster Moon but for Matthew McConaughey. Uh, yeah, he was incredible, incredible. But it's the music in this film. I mean, I have not only purchased one soundtrack already as soon as I came out of the, out of the screening seeing it, I purchased two, the special edition that had two extra <laughs> tracks on it and the other one. So <laughs> Well, thank you. I, I owe you. I think I owe you two or three cents. So thank you. <laughs> what is the, what is the greatest gift? I, I, I've got to ask you. You've got your six Grammys. Um, what is? The, and I'm sure that you aren't doing this for the accolades of having a little statue. So, what is the greatest gift that music and music producing gives to you, Harvey? For me, the greatest gift is when other people hear it and appreciate it and it brings something to their day, whether that's some happiness or some excitement or just energy or uplifting feeling, or even if it's a sad song, if it does something to emotionally impact somebody, that's, you know, a huge, huge satisfaction for me. I think I also want to hopefully maybe sound presumptuous, but I would like to leave something behind once I'm done with my career. It's something that lasts, you know, if I can create one or two pieces of music that people listen to for the next 30 or 50 or 100 years, that would be amazing. But more than anything, I just do it to uh, do it because it's fun. I do it because I really, really enjoy making music, but I, I love having an impact on people and you know, without sounding corny, I like having an impact on the world. It's good to bring happiness and joy and art to the world. Well, you know, and I think that Sing couldn't have come out at a better time. I mean, it's already pulled in as the number two film this, this holiday weekend at the box office. And I guarantee you it's because of the music and in what with what's been happening in the world and even just uh, the incidents over the past, you know, two weeks or so, losing George yeah. Michael and, you know, unknown as to what's going to happen with Carrie Fisher and then, you know, losing Prince and it's, it's an album. It's, it's a soundtrack like sing that reminds the world of the joy that there is in life. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, it's a journey. And I think the film represents the journey of a lot of people's lives. You know, there's ups and downs and challenges and obstacles and, Ultimately, that's the, that's the good part about it is going through all of it, whether the good or the bad, and coming out at the end of the end of the tunnel, hopefully on the on the right side of things. But I think the film represents that, and the music hopefully helps accentuate that. So I have to ask you: Do you have a favorite track in the film? Oh man, you know, two of my favorites. I think one is Hallelujah, and it's strange because the director chose to erase all my music, <laughs> which is hilarious. But I, I love that performance by Tori, and it comes at such a kind of poignant part in the film where mm -hmm. everything's kind of teetering. So I think there's some amazing emotional payoff in that song. And then I, Don't You Worry About a Thing is 
is to me just such a kind of showstopper, a big grand finale type song. And we worked really hard on that song. I think we might have done 35 or 36 versions of that song. So for me, that one's gratifying to hear it come off and be pulled off in a finale kind of setting. So those are a couple of my favorites. I love uh, Golden Slumber as well. That to me is really special. But those are a few of my highlights. So what do we have another film on the horizon? Yes, I'm just started last week on Pitch Perfect 3. You know, I did Pitch 1 and 2, and uh, this new one is even more music, if you can believe that. There's now uh, some live music involved instead of just acapella stuff. Um, okay. I'm doing a Netflix series based on Motown music, which is really, really cool. So I've got two or three other good things kind of coming in the, on the back end of this one. Oh, uh. Well, Harvey, I can't thank you enough for, for joining me this morning. This has been a real treat. I am such a huge well, admirer you. of your work and what you've done, you know, with various artists and tracks over the years. But, you know, for my money, Sing is like the pinnacle of your soundtrack career. Let me tell you. Uh, thank you so, so much. It really means a lot that you appreciate all the work that went into it. And, you know, it was me and it was a lot of other great people. And the one thing I'll, I'll also leave you with is this kind of film and the soundtrack gives me the opportunity to work with some of the best musicians the best yeah. uh composers arrangers orchestrators conductors i mean being here in la and being able to work on a film like this brings some amazing talented people into my into my world and i'm really lucky and thankful for that as well did you record any of this down at sony we did yes we did record some of sony some of it was at my place and some of the bigger stuff was was down there so yeah because i know sony has some of the preeminent sound you know recording rooms in the industry yeah and fox yeah yeah oh harvey i hope will you come back on the show again i hope so i would love to this is my kind of show are you kidding me <laughs> well i will stay in touch with diana and make sure that we get you back Thank you so much. Anytime, I would love to do it. Oh, Harvey, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks to you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was the wonderful Harvey Mason Jr. He mm-hmm. he loves film and music the way the way you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love how he wanted to make an impact at the you know even when he someday when we all pass on about leaving that impact of things that stay with people that. Yeah, well, I admire that about him. That's... And you also are are making an impact with what you do because all of this will be a legacy that is left on. You, you know what's funny about how... Look, I'm yeah. sitting here with VHS <laughs> copies. I don't throw anything away. So, you know, decades from now, when my, when I die and my brother has to come and clean out my house, there will there will be Dolby. There will be Atmos. There... Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting because when you do a mix or when you do a feature, a soundtrack for a film and, or a TV show, whatever it may be, and you do the initial theatrical release, let's mm-hmm. say. It has to go to a, a, a home entertainment version, whether it's going to be Blu-ray or streaming. But something's going to stay around that's going to last forever, literally, mm-hmm. uh, to, for however long it'll go. And so that's always something that's very important is how that's going to track on from that point on. So there's one thing to do the theatrical run, which will run for however many months. But then after that, it has to live for years and years mm-hmm. and years and years. And that's just a... You know, it's always something that's on the back of your mind. You know, <laughs> don't make any mistakes because <laughs> it's gonna be imprinted. <laughs> and then you're gonna have to try and fix them later yeah, on. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, perfect example here. You know, I've got when you when our listeners who are also a lot of our viewers, when you see the video of this particular show, you're gonna see a whole a mass 
of DVDs and Blu-rays here, and some of my my woe. Yeah, I knew I'd knock stuff over. Some of my woebegone VHS for Ghostbusters and one and two, the original, the ones that count. Um, how do you approach? You take something like this. Mm-hmm. Say there was some, you know, something that was more vintage than some of the other things that you've been working on. Mm-hmm. Are there defects that you have to correct? <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's really funny when you're <laughs> when you get to a film later on, and then especially when you talk to the filmmakers, the original filmmakers, and they say, you know, there's always been this big giant dropout in the mix, or the music always dips here at this point. It's always driven me crazy. This happens, and they'll say, you, we need to fix that. You know, people notice that. It's little things like that. There'll be little you know nuances mm-hmm. in a mix. They'll say, please, can you, while we're here, let's correct that because you know, and they'll fix that episode. Yeah, so. It, plays a part yeah so is it are there any war mm-hmm. stories that you can divulge you know i'll tell you not there, there's a film I, I i so i can't say the name of it but i'll but i'll tell you there's a film it's similar to the era of ghostbusters okay now um it's a, it's a music film a okay. long time ago from the 80s okay and a very large music film now they did a mix somebody else another facility had done the mix a 5.1 surround mix and they kind of made it into a basically a large music video. Mm-hmm. And this this is a show is based off of based in the era of around the fifties and sixties. And then they basically made the mix very large and broad and huge and you know just subwoofers everywhere. And it got really intense. And I see where they were going with it, but it just it wasn't really appropriate. I'm not cutting somebody down, but it's just the way it was, the mm-hmm. way it turned out. So now what happens the the studio basically said, Okay, we, we need to re release this again. We're going to re-release this film again, but we're going to go back, still doing 5.1 surround, mm-hmm. but we're going to do it in a way that's just a little bit more liking to the original. So what the producer did, and I'll, I'll never forget this, she handed me a VHS. Okay. She handed me the VHS, <laughs> and she just said, you're going to do 5.1, but make it sound like that. Like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. And so I did. It's 5.1, and it's it's a very, very conservative 5.1, but I basically kept it. To the original of the original VHS, literally. I, I, lo- I loaded in the VHS, the track, and was A-being between the VHS and the new 5.1, making uh-huh. sure that, especially in the when it downmixes, the 5.1 downmixes the stereo, to make sure that they sounded almost identical to that point. You know, but yet, but again, it's that threshold, it's that balance. You still got to make it 5.1. You just can't make stuff flying around everywhere, yeah. obviously. But, but it's that balance of that, so making sure that it worked in between. So that was always a fun Fun story. Do, do you yeah. get do you get as <laughs> yeah. much of that anymore today? Uh, well, most of the restorations on a lot of films have mostly been completed, really, by mm-hmm. now on a lot of the major titles. There are some titles though, that will still restore. We'll still go back to some of the older elements, some older films, like a Ghostbusters type of thing. Mm-hmm. Go back and because maybe when they did five point one in let's say ninety eight or ninety seven. The converters weren't quite as good then. Good mm-hmm. then, and it's just the the technology's a little different. So now maybe we recapture the sound from the thirty five millimeter mag, mm-hmm. and recapture, reload it in at a higher bit rate, and just just going to sound better. You mm-hmm. know, just by that notion alone, it's going to sure. be more. If anything, it's going to sound more like it should have sounded. <laughs> so really, we're going back to that. We're getting back to that original even deeper. So there is that element of it. So sometimes, yeah, it's just. Whether or not something needed to be redone, but most of its most of the restorations have been completed mm-hmm. yeah, for the most part. Well, yeah. now you have you brought with you today from your personal collection this absolutely stunning Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Talk about this yeah. lovely little gem. Yeah. So uh, pull it see, over. Here, here. Hold so it up the, for uh, the camera to, to see. Knock down your other discs here, but yes, yeah, so is the Tom see, Petty we'll and Heartbreakers. And see, uh, you can see it right the there. live anthology. Yes. So this is a combination of uh, the uh, the. Uh, um, so this has got vinyl on it, of course, but it's also got, uh, you know, the Blu-ray discs of, well, of concerts as well as Blu-ray discs of uh, 400 Days documentary, which mm-hmm. I worked on. Um, and then also just you know, live shows and, and, and just – it's just a collaboration of all sorts of live projects on here. And so it took a – it's a total – it's a many people that put this together. Right. You know, it's, not, it's not just me. There's <laughs> many, many people that had made this. And um, – yeah, so this is the kind of thing you would put together that would, you know, it's it's a restoration in a sense of a lot of older music, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of mu- shouldn't say older music, but things are recorded from a long time ago, as well as you know, but at the same time keeping some of the you know integrity of how it's supposed to stay and 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 printing things onto LP, of course, as well, and uh, onto vinyl. I mean, so yeah, it's it's interesting. It's you know, it's when on music, especially older uh, music titles. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes on the mastering side of things, on a, on a stereo music, on, a, on an album, for example, it might have been filtered in a way so that it would fit on vinyl. A lot of times what people don't realize is a lot of the low frequencies are rolled off a little bit so mm-hmm. that it will fit on vinyl. So you can actually fit – literally fit more music on a vinyl if you have less of that, mm-hmm. if you have it rolled off. The problem is it sounds just a slight bit thinner that way. So sometimes when you re-restore, if you restore an older title before it went to vinyl, of course, then – or older title, I mean older music uh, – uh, an album before it went to vinyl, then you now can get some of that low end, those low mm-hmm. frequencies back in, for example. And I'm not saying specifically of Tom Petty, but just music in general. In general, in general you can do that. You, you know, so it, you realize, oh, we don't have those limitations anymore. Mm-hmm. So now I don't have to worry about that as much anymore. Now I can worry about what's going to be, you know, quality for streaming and, mm-hmm. and for, and, you know, before, unfortunately, before it gets too highly compressed on streaming. So, right. <laughs> so there's, there's that, but you know, yeah. Those different so how beneficial is it? Because you come from a music background. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. How beneficial is that to you with the work that you now do, especially if it's a film like a Pitch Perfect <laughs> 1 or 2 or you know, something that and virtually every film has music in it, mm-hmm. but the ones that are more music heavy and mm-hmm. you, or that are provided for the, the ambient underscore where nuance is needed. Does your music background and your musicality help you? Oh yeah, in that mix process. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, I started off my. It's funny my my boot camp, if you will. Your boot camp. My boot camp. My music boot camp. Music boot camp. My music boot camp literally was Prince's Paisley Park. I worked at Paisley Park for about three years um, in the mid nineties, and that was a. Um, I see. It's it's funny. I, I I say it's it's three years, but it's really. I, I always say it's kind of like dog years. Because I, I literally, I lived there. I slept there. I ate there. I, I sometimes did crudely my laundry there and you know, showered there. I mean, I practically lived there. My family didn't see me for many years there. And it's just because I was working very hard. It was my boot camp. But I, and I mean that in a very respectful way because I learned so much from that. You know, and because we would work on albums, of course. But also they had a 10,000 square foot soundstage in the back where they would do shoots and film shoots and whatnot. And just seeing how that's all created. And so it helped build on the music side to see where some of the stuff is coming from and knowing with the background of some of these projects and being part of those. And, um, so now when I get into the post-production side of things, of course, music is my, 
my background, so I'm always hearing things. I do hear things musically quite mm-hmm. often, and that's and how that pertains to me now, especially with Atmos. Now, that's why I love enveloping music, and I love enveloping, you know, especially mm-hmm. score, uh, music score with like, you know, an orchestra, and you can move different elements around and fill things in a mm-hmm. space, you know. And but also knowing how it's going to work in every element, whether you hear it on your iPhone or on mm-hmm. Blu-ray, and it's it's it definitely takes. Yeah, it takes it definitely takes a path. Music mm-hmm. does with me. You yeah. know, now, now I'm, I'm mm-hmm. glad you mentioned like orchestra because uh-huh. I'm sitting here thinking. I'm just wondering, how do you think? How much fun would it be for you? And how do you think it would sound to take a Max Steiner or Bernard Herrmann? Score oh yeah, and oh. do it in a Dolby Atmos. Yeah, well, and the thing, and there are you know, as far as music, there are. Currently, with Dolby Atmos, there's a lot of music titles that are out, but it's mostly classical and mm. orchestral scores at this point. Um, there's not a lot of mainstream music, you know, out right. there. So, orchestral, especially a live orchestral, a live classical score, it sounds fantastic in Atmos because if you have in a large, uh, you know, a very large room, a large facility um, arena where you have basically all these different audience microphones that you've recorded mm-hmm. with, along with what's recording the actual orchestra itself. Now you have that much more space to create. Mm-hmm. You know, you can create different audience microphones in the upper channels and on the sides, and 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 all, also you're getting the involvement of the audience as well. Mm-hmm. You know, getting the audience around you, and it's you know it's one of those things where unfortunately on a on a, on a radio show I wish I could show you but I can't hear it. but <laughs> but but when you hear it you realize wow this is actually this is this is very enveloping again it pulls you in mm-hmm. so yeah it 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 makes a yeah it makes sense score music and and back let me backtrack on film for a moment music for a film especially when it's an orchestral score mm-hmm. that's sometimes easier to go into an atmos oh, okay. or immersive kind of environment when you get a more a pop song or drums banging around in a, in a feature film it's not really appropriate to be putting those in upper right. channels and it's just because it's going to take your attention away mm-hmm. so but when you have more of a warm score with pads and strings and whatnot and i say pads more of an electronic sense but mm-hmm. but all these elements now can be placed in different areas and it just fills mm-hmm. you know I'm saying the word fill in a lot, but it's true. It's what That's it's doing. what it does. <laughs> it's what it's it, doing. It, yeah. it fills so, in. <laughs> yeah. Because it's ama- it's amazing. When I when I watch films or I go back and I watch films that I've seen hundreds of mm-hmm. times that you know, from the seventies, the sixties, even older ones, and then I hear them when they're remastered. You know, well even something like Expendables. Expendables, mm-hmm. you know, three. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I've heard it, you know, in the theater mm-hmm. and it was not Done. It wasn't projected sonically in Dolby Atmos in the screening room that it was at. Uh-huh. Now to go back and hear it in the home video yeah. version in the Dolby yeah. Atmos, huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a huge – yeah, it makes a big space, a spatial difference. And, you know, Expendables 3 was a good example of a film where they did do a theatrical native Atmos release for the mm-hmm. theatrical cut. Um, but the extended, this director's cut has yeah. a lot more footage. It's not just a couple more, few more no, minutes. It's a massive amount. A lot. The, the thing was the extended portions were never in, in Atmos. Mm-hmm. So I had to, you know, make these new portions or many, many, many scenes and make those into Atmos as well as fitting into what's already been in Atmos. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like a Frankenstein, but I didn't want it to be Frank. You know, you have to make it smooth and you have to make it mm-hmm. flow. 
And then you're also listening to what they originally did on their Atmos portion of the theatrical mm-hmm. side and then me matching that to make sure I'm following the integrity of what they did. Like, yeah. oh, they would have done this had they, had they carried this scene 10 minutes longer see, like they did. I was, I so, was just going to ask you that yeah. based on your description there. Mm-hmm. It, you do have to match it up. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of matching in my job. There's a lot of it. It's a creative and matching. It's like matching because I, you know, I want to make sure I keep to what they are. Creative intending. and matching. It I, really I, is. It's a full balance. It truly is that. It's half of my job is matching what was there and then making it work creatively. You know? Do you prefer so. to start from scratch with the tracks to do an Atmos mix, or do you like coming in behind and then doing? The remixing and remastering for Atmos. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd much rather start with the individual, the original mix, of mm-hmm. course. That's always the best way. That'd be considered a native mix where you take mm-hmm. the all the – basically, you're taking what they mixed on the dub stage and putting it on my dub stage, literally the exact same Pro mm-hmm. Tool sessions and all that, and just basically retooling it to make sure certain things will now work in Atmos. Mm-hmm. And there's ways of doing that. And that is definitely much more preferred because you have way more control. Right. Much, much, much more control as opposed to the other way would be getting a film where I have stems and the stems, especially if the stems are broken out in very little little elements, just like three stems, dialogue, music, effects. And maybe that third effects would be just dialogue foley or foley and uh, backgrounds and effects tied together and then you're limited. Because mm-hmm. there's certain things, for example, if I have backgrounds and foley tied together, well, I can't really push, if I want some air to be lifted up, well, now I have... You know, a horse galloping. Also, this tied in with those effects that wouldn't be appropriate to move those up mm-hmm. into the side. I only want the winds. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. so that's why that's the limitations there. So that's why you know I always try to do it natively if possible. Or if I am going to get stems, I'm going to try to get them as wide, meaning wide, meaning as many separated elements as I can get. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that means going back to the the filmmakers and to the crew and getting those elements separated mm-hmm. as well. You know, because I yeah it's just. Having all that separation is is key. What has yeah. been with all the films that you've done, you know, with this at, with the Atmos remix, mm-hmm. you know, what has been the most gratifying? Gratifying. Remi- which title has been the most gratifying? Yeah. Okay, this e- is going to sound funny. Either due to <laughs> either be, due to ease uh, ease of it or the challenges that you overcame to um, put together a fabulous sounding film. Well. Okay, well, actually, a couple of um, there's two of them. Well, so Hunger Games is probably the one that I'm that's the most gratifying one, I think, Cause just because again, it's that space of having one out in the woods. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was so much movement. I worked closely with a uh, Lon Bender, who's a sound supervisor, also with for most. Of I it. know Lon. You know Lon. See, yeah, and so I worked closely <laughs> with him to make sure you know this is all going to work correctly. And 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 back when the film was first released. A long time ago on Blu-ray, we actually did a home theater mix with, with mm-hmm. the crew back then, with the whole entire crew. And then now we've used that and retooled that for Atmos now. And mm-hmm. it's it's that one I'm very proud of. I mean, when you get the tracker jacker scene when the bees are yeah. coming around, I mean, that's just – it's it's perfect. It's a perfect movie for Atmos. The other one that sticks with me, by the way, is oddly enough, uh, uh, Sausage Party. That film, oh it's a silly film. It's a silly, but it's, I tell you, it's for Atmos, it's a playground. Oh yeah. It's a just, it's just, it's a ridiculous playground. So you got one, you got two extremes. You mm. got, you got uh, uh, Hunger Games, which is filling in. It's a lot of right. ambiences and backgrounds and you're filling in music, pulled that emotion in with you. Mm-hmm. But then you got the other flip side of something like Sausage Party, which just kind of, it's kind of like over the top. It's ridiculous on, you know, 
on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so they purposely do that, you know? And so that's the kind of thing. It's not meant to be taken too seriously, but it's, it's a playground in that. So that, you know, those are kind of two extremes where you have a film, you know, I did, I, was, I did the encode for uh, Age of Adeline. Mm-hmm. Now that one, now I didn't actually do the Atmos mix per se on that. I just did the, the encode for it, but I'm hearing that in doing and, 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 and doing it for home. And that movie is a perfect example of a film where the music, it's not a big, wide open action film. No, it's There's not. only a it's few areas. Like when she gets in a car wreck, there's a yeah. car wreck that happens. And, and things like that, when that happens, it's amazing in Atmos. Mm-hmm. And those are the original mixers that did that in Atmos. And it sounds beautiful. It sounds perfect. But that's a perfect example of a film where it's just not everything is going on. And sometimes those upper channels are completely digital black, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, but when it comes in, it comes in force, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a perfect, it's that perfect dynamic yeah. you get. And so that, you know, it's every film. And again, we're tailoring all this to all these different films, Age of Adeline, Hunger Games, and Sausage Party are very three completely different types totally of movies. Totally different. I mean, you know, for better or worse, it is. <laughs> they really yeah. are different, you know. So you know, we have to adapt to what I'm doing to each one. I mean, another one that's yeah. beautiful that sonically is Risen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun Atmos mix. That, that was a lot. That was a lot of music and backgrounds on that one. Very for much sure so. Sure, on the Atmos mix of that. Yeah. So now yeah. you know. Now the big question becomes: As everybody hears us talk about Atmos and remixing for the home for home mm-hmm. for all these DVDs and Blu-rays and streaming. Yeah. Now the next question comes: How how does the home listen? How does the home viewer hmm. benefit from? This great technology and this great sound. Well, there are – so as of now, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but right now there's uh, many home theater systems, uh, receivers that are handling Dolby Atmos with a um, – so right – well, let me start from the beginning. Basically, for example, um, you pick some of these titles uh, like Hunger Games, for example. Mm-hmm. It will have a Dolby digital – a Dolby True HD encode. Mm-hmm. On it, and that fits on the Blu-ray disc. And for a lot of the 4K and ultra-high def discs, will have this. I have a Blu-ray uh, 4K uh, ultra-high def, but a, a Dolby True HD encode. And what that does, that's got a, uh, the Dolby Atmos mix on that encode, so that when you put it in your Blu-ray player and you have Atmos, it will decode through your receiver into your into your Atmos system, your speaker. So that means you'd have to, of course, have the receiver, but then also beyond a 5.1 system. Sometimes mm-hmm. people do a 5.1 with four uppers or a full 7.1 mm-hmm. and four uppers. I say 7.1 because it's kind of around you. Yes. And, yeah, so I'm always using these gestures. <laughs> and, then, um, and, and so so that's the thing. It's, it, and then there's also a, um, something's come out recently where it's a sound bar. They have yeah. a sound bar, which, you know, I got to tell you, I, when I first heard it, I was like, this is going to be this is going to be cheesy, and I first thought about it, but you know. But then when I heard it, I realized no, it, it uses the reflections of your of your room. It, it tunes, in fact, it tunes see, to the reflections uh, see, of your room. Because my condo, it's, my living room is too small to uh-huh. go and put in speakers everywhere, and yeah. you know, pulsate the ceiling and the walls, and <laughs> yep. annoy the heck out of my neighbors, which I really wouldn't mm-hmm. care about. But <laughs> if it gave me good sound, but yeah. I'm, I myself have been curious about the sound bar and have done no investigation as yet into that. It's, it's I was I was more impressed than I. Th- I was, it was it was surprising to me that it was as good as it was. It really is. I mean, it really it's it's again it's using the reflections of the room around you and and above you. We did a event, a press event, a few months back where we had content creators, you know, filmmakers and yeah, the one over at Sony. Uh, no, no, we oh. had mine. Actually, oh, we had yours. one over in Formosa, Ooh. in Santa Monica, and and we had one where I was just literally showcasing a bunch of Atmos 
titles. And we played, of course, in my stage, my dub stage with, uh, with Atmos. But then also we had another room, kind of like this kind of a room, a, like more of a square room mm-hmm. with a sound bar set up in it so that you can hear how it would react and how it will fit as if it's a living room. The, the cool thing was watching the content creators, these producers, come in and they listen to a show and they're literally turning around going, this, I'm hearing surrounds. It's coming behind me. You know, but and you'd think it'd be gimmicky, but it really wasn't. They, you know, Dolby figured it out so that it tunes correctly to that room. There's a whole setup involved when you tune it, so you use that. So it, it, it's 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 more impressive. So I would than, I, than I, I thought it would be. I was actually I was I, you know, I had an eyebrow up on that. I was like, wow. Okay. So I wouldn't need to buy you know? additional speakers or anything. Just hook it right up. to Yeah, my it's a DVD sound bar. Player. Yeah, you put a sound bar, and I mean they're big. They're the one I was used as a Yamaha. I don't remember the model, well, but it's, obviously it's it's it's. it's it, well, but the, the, a lot of them, they're, they're dynamic. They have to be pretty big. Okay. You know, because you have to, I mean, the one I saw, the Yamaha one, it has like 40 little small speakers. Okay, the cats it. may be moving out, you know. Yeah, yeah, move the cat out because <laughs> the cat's going to freak out when it hears that. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. So you know, there's so that's, so there's the end viewer of that. So there's, yeah, again, um, if you have a home theater system with the speakers, but also even if you have a 5.1 system, mm-hmm. you also have what's called upfiring. And that's the front left and right channels and the rear surround channels where you have speakers on top that aim and reflect off the ceiling. And again, it takes a tuning process to make that work, but it's but it gives you Atmos. I mean, it's not the same as being direct. There's never right. going to be the same as having it direct speakers, of course. Of course, it won't be exactly, but it's 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 impressive. You know, they've Dolby the the, the guys at Dolby have figured out a way to make that work as close as possible. See, now so, now you're kind of yeah. convincing me that I need to go get a sound bar for all the, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, for all the films yeah. and now with screening they mm-hmm. they don't want to schedule and I understand it distributors don't want to spend the money on these smaller indies or films to you know rent screening rooms mm-hmm. or send DVDs or Blu-rays out so mm-hmm. they stream everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, with as much and as it is, I already have to hook up my computer, my laptop to the TV because yeah. I want to see the picture on a much bigger screen. Yeah. Because I'm reviewing a film, I'm analyzing it, but I'm also listening to the sound. Yeah. Design. Yeah. So obviously, and with streaming now, streaming is where it's. I mean, that's now that you can stream this and it's working. I mean, they're active. You know, like Comcast Video on Demand is streaming Atmos, mm-hmm. and there are other over the top you know streaming services like you know all those other ones you buy the the a la carte services you can get that mm-hmm. sort that stream all these Atmos content, and it's happening. And as our industry, as our uh, broadband gets better and better. There's going to be more of that. And that and way everybody hears it downstream too. So even if you don't have Atmos, you can hear it in 5.1 and stereo still, you know, exactly as you would have heard it in the first place, really. So it, it all flows downstream and you can hear. So if you have Atmos, great. If you don't, well, then you'll hear the 5.1 version. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> the more there is, the more work there is for you over at Formosa Group. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been keeping me pretty busy. Yeah. It's been keeping me very busy. Are there so, any upcoming titles that you're allowed to oh, talk about? See, that's the problem on my side of things. Is I, I, I can't say anything about okay. them until they're released, but there's a lot. A lot. There's a lot of music stuff. Really? As yeah. in music, music, music videos, music compilations? Yes. All, all <laughs> there's of, a lot of music stuff. To all of the above. There's a lot of music stuff that's brewing, and that's what I'm really excited about. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Oh, you're giving us the minute mark? That's really rude of you, Brian. <laughs> He's being, he's being just, that's not fair. That's not fair. So if there's one film beyond, besides the Hunger Games or Sausage Party that you have, that you would encourage people to go out and buy or stream, 
in, in Atmos to hear the quality of it. Um, you know, it's it's not one that I worked on, but uh, but Gravity, Gravity and Atmos. Yeah, really? I didn't touch it. I've never touched the film, but it it, it that sounds amazing. Okay, what about Atmos. one that you worked on? <laughs> um, oh, <sighs> that's that's a hard question to ask me. That's really hard. It's hard to go. Oh, it's all my little babies. Like, which one would be the best? I don't, you know. I mean, that's, well, no, you, uh, we know you love them all, but if you had, um, if people want, if you if people wanted to get a good example, John Wick. John Wick. Probably John Wick is a good one, yeah. Well, and yeah. perfect timing since John Wick 2 is yeah. coming out. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we've got six seconds. Tim Hoganocker, thank you so much for being here. Harvey Mason Jr., thank you. That is it for Behind the Lens in 2016. You will come back? Yes, absolutely. You will come yeah. back. And Harvey will come back. And I'll be back <laughs> on January 9th. Until then, this is Debbie Elias, Behind the Lens. 